0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the
1: best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events... The widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
2: Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics' dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Ports, I'm with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Folks, it is Rick Nash week in Columbus, Ohio. We have turned this podcast over to that. Uh, We've got some news and notes first, but we've got a special guest for you today as well. Ken Hitchcock, who was hired partway through Nash's fourth year and really has been credited by Rick Nash himself. Uh, for elevating him into a different stratosphere. The Blue Jackets are off today. No game Thursday, but then comes a big weekend for the franchise. They host L.A. on Friday, and then on Saturday before they play Boston, they will retire the number 61 sweater of Rick Nash before the game. And I've said this on Twitter a bunch of times. I'll say it again here. If you're going to the game, the doors open at 5, not 6, and you are asked kindly, of course, to be in your seat at 5.30, uh, for the pregame ceremony. This 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 jersey, we haven't had one of these in Columbus before, so you're forgiven if you're not quite sure how the system works. This is done before the game starts, and puck drop is still 7 o'clock, so this is going to be at 5.30, um, and then probably hopefully done in time for warm-ups. Uh, maybe the game will, will be pushed back a little bit, but be in your seats at, at 5.30 uh, to see uh, this uh, great moment in Blue Jackets history. Nash, of course. Mr. Everything for the franchise, number one overall draft pick in 2002. Um, We wrote a story today, check it out on the site, about how the Blue Jackets acquired the number one pick to draft Rick Nash. I don't think it's a story that a lot of people know or perhaps uh, remember. Um, But anyways, Ken Hitchcock is our special guest on the show. Um, Hitch, again, really, really credited by Nash uh, into pushing him up into the next stratosphere of players. Hitch won 125 games here in Columbus, coached the Blue Jackets to their first ever playoff berth uh, in 2009. He will be in town coming in Friday. Again, the ceremony on Saturday should be a hell of a weekend in uh, Columbus. And think about all that's going on for Saturday's game. Like, this is also Nick Felino's return to Columbus, which in a normal Time would be the biggest story. Nick Felito means so much to this franchise. It's also Sean Corrales' first game against the Bruins. Of course, he signed with the Blue Jackets as a free agent. I, I got to tell you, Corrales loving the fact that this is Nash's big night, Felino's big night. He's like, he's been thinking about this uh, a lot about playing his old team. And he's like, this is great. I can just kind of slide under the radar while everybody's talking about everything else. Uh, We'll see about that. I'm not sure. Uh, Also, the Blue Jackets are kind of sniffing around the playoffs. Uh, I'm not even going to update the standings because I don't think we're in a position for that yet, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, The Blue Jackets got back to the winning ways on Tuesday, 4-3 win over New Jersey. They have played really, really hard and mostly well for about three weeks now. Um, Something to watch, especially when you consider the three of the four defensemen uh, who have been their top four for most of the season are out of the lineup. That's Wierenski. That's Jake Bean, and as of Tuesday, that's Adam Boakvist. Uh, not sure who they'll have back, if any of those guys, for this weekend. Uh, but when you've got a team really going like they're going right now, these are the kind of things that happen. Jake Christensen into the lineup for Adam Boakvist after being recalled from Cleveland. Scores his first NHL goal to, score to, to make it 1-1 after a slow start. Gavin Bayreuther, not really regarded as a tough guy, gets into a first-period fight and really amps up the bench. Uh, the Blue Jackets played much more physically the rest of the way. And I've never seen it like this before. The advantage in hits for Columbus, this is for the whole game over New Jersey on Tuesday, 30 to 5. Block shots 24 to 6. Uh, so Columbus really excelling in the physical aspects of the game. That's something we got on them about early in the season. Um, before we get to hitch, I want to talk briefly about the goal that Patrick Liney scored last night, the game winner. If you've not seen this highlight goal, make sure you check it out. We've, it's embedded in our five observations post that was up after the game. Uh, so you can check it out there if you can't find it elsewhere. The mother of, of all toe drags. This is downright Zherdevian, I say, of Nikolai Zherdev. Um, Line A comes into the zone with three doubles in front of him. He pulls that puck from like Chillicothe, Chillicothe to Westerville uh, and then scores in the left wing. Line A is on fire, 14 goals in 14 games. He's got 14, 9, and 23 in that span, and he remains red hot. Uh, So let's get to uh, Ken Hitchcock. I think you're going to love this interview. It's everything I thought it would be and more. Hitch is so passionate about Columbus, so passionate about Rick Nash, and you know what? He I won't say he downplayed it, but he doesn't like to talk about himself much. I think he's absolutely delighted to be coming back to town. I think it's incredibly meaningful to him that Rick Nash wanted him to be here. Um, I can't imagine a bigger thrill for a a coach to have one of his former players reach out in that way. Um, So let's get to it. This is Ken Hitchcock. Uh, This is the Front Nationwide podcast, and we're celebrating Rick Nash's great career with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, Let's get to Hitch. So joined now by former Blue Jackets head coach, NHL coaching legend, I think I can say that, Ken Hitchcock. Um, certainly one of the joys of my career to cover Ken Hitchcock and Ken Hitchcock's team teams. Um, a thrill to have you here. It's Rick Nash week in Columbus hitch. I know you're coming back to town uh, to be a part of it. You'll be here Friday, Saturday. How exci- when's the last time you've been here hitch for, uh, for non game type stuff. When's the last time you've come just to say, Hey, to some
3: people. Uh, you know what? It was probably when I was coaching in St. Louis, I would, on breaks, I'd go back up to, uh, the Columbus and visit friends. And I've said this before party. I just, you can't find a better place to be from. You can't find a better place to live. Uh, the sense of community there is second to none. And I've told people this before, uh, they've asked me, you know, you've coached in a few places, where's your top place. And I, I got to tell you it's Columbus. I've, wow. I've been in a, a city that has so much going for it and is so, um, uh, so uh, not well known in the, in the sporting community, but, but so efficient in everything it has hmm. as far as being a, a person to live there between the university and the cultural centers and the social centers. It's just a great place.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. It'll be good to have you back in, in the building. Hope to see you Friday. Uh, before the big night, maybe up in the press box. Tell the people what you're doing now uh, with the Blues. Uh, senior advisor, is that the title?
3: Yeah, uh, Portie, what I do is I, I work specifically with the two coaching staffs in the NHL and the American League. And I'm in um, uh, biweekly contact with the with the coaching staff with St. Louis, always on big picture stuff. Um, so we go over uh, things that I see, things that I I, I feel like are kind of warning signs that they need to get ready for. Yeah. Um, we go over stuff about dealing with some of the athletes on, on w- ways to speak with them and things like that. And I've known Craig uh, Ruby a long yeah. time, played junior for me. That's we're awesome. very good friends. And um, obviously Steve Ott played for me. I've known Mike Van Ryan and Jimmy Montgomery for almost 30 years. So um I get along with the staff great and and I try to help them as much as I can without interfering i I only go to the games when they're out west here hmm. um, so i I try not I try to stay out of the way as much as I can and then with the American League team um, I talk to drew uh, Bannister and his staff every Monday so we talk every Monday after weekend play and I watch the team play at least one game a week couple games a week and and we go over uh, mostly pr- uh, ideas for practice and things to help the team get better.
2: Yeah, you love this. This is right up your alley, is it Hunt?
3: I love helping coaches. You know, yeah. I—that's my passion. I mean, I—I've just, uh, you know, I've kind of made it my life, life's work to understand the science of coaching and the science of winning. And this fits perfect for me. It allows me to. Um, do other things in my life, but still feel like I'm connected. And, and I'm, uh, I've got a great, I mean, Doug Armstrong and I have been together a long time between Dallas and and St. Louis. And so I have a good relationship with, uh, with him and management and it's a very good situation for me.
2: Yeah. That's great. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, if memory serves, it's been a little while when you were let go by the blue jackets, you still had time left on your contract you went to Springfield where a young coach by the name of Brad Larson was early in his coaching career. And you sort of, you served, I don't think you had to, you could have gone golfing in the Caribbean. Hitch, I, it, Am I correct to say you spent some time with, with uh, Brad Larson and the coaching staff there in Springfield in in sort of the, the early days of his, his coaching?
3: Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, uh, I've, I've stayed uh, in touch with Brad for, a long period of time really since uh I just I felt 40 that that some guys have it and some guys you know are just going to try to survive it yeah it felt like Brad had what I thought were really good thoughts ideas disposition to be a really good head coach and uh as a matter of fact uh I tried to talk him out of going into Columbus to be an assistant coach, because I thought that he could uh, accelerate his career by staying longer as a head coach with the American League team. Yeah, interesting. And I, I, but we we've stayed in touch with each other, and um, uh, you know we're we not maybe as much as we do now uh, as we did before, but we're certainly in touch with each other, and I'm I'm really proud of uh, the fact that he. He was able to learn from John and then get to be uh, the head coach of the Blue Jackets. He's done a great job. He's got a great staff there, and uh, and I'm I'm happy for Brad because I I think I I saw the tools and and sometimes you worry about guys getting buried in one role or not, but yeah. I saw Brad had the tools and the disposition to be a really good head coach.
2: Yeah, and I don't know how much you you watched them have watched them play this year, but boy, they are really playing. For him, for sure. For each other, absolutely. This team. The one thing that's sort of carried this team through, they're they are without a ton of guys right now. They're over 500, which I don't think a lot of people would have expected. They really compete hard on a nightly nightly basis. Have you seen that in the, the film or the games you've watched them play?
3: Yeah. The term I use is they, and I've, I've said this to Brad, that they play with a great spirit. Yeah, and And when you play with a great spirit, even if you don't win the game, you can recover quickly. So you look at the, Look what happened to them. They lost a heartbreaker uh, on a, to Pittsburgh on a yeah, kind of yeah. controversial goal. Came back and won again. You know, that's, yeah. that's a team that has great spirit. And it's something you can really draw on and you can really uh, uh, grow your team quickly when that spirit's in that locker room. And there's a, I, you can see that there's a calm bond between the players and the coaches. And, and I... I think Brad and his staff and Yarmol have done a great job on, on resetting the team very quickly. Uh-huh. There was no rebuild. I don't think, I think everybody in the league is surprised by how well they played, yeah. but they don't seem surprised. And I think right. they, they held a standard that was really high and they, they, they pushed the reset button and, and I think that's why they're being successful.
0: Yeah, that's great.
2: Let's get to Rick Nash week here in Columbus, because that's really what what that is. We, we started rolling out stories today, the incredible story of how they moved up from three to one to get Rick Nash. Um, and it, it's going to keep flowing. This is going to be the talk of the town for the next few days. And Hitch, I wonder if you go back to 06, 07, when you came to Columbus. There were a couple of jobs open at that time. and And, and forgetting even about the two jobs that were open, I don't think you would have waited long to get a job. So I'm, I'm wondering what drew you to Columbus and how how did Rick Nash's presence on the roster this really talented but raw player how much did, did the 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 ability to coach him to have a player like that under your tutelage attract you to this job when I don't think you really knew much about the marketplace the team Uh, et cetera.
3: Well, I got to tell you, uh, Portie, like I've coached talented players. I I knew Rick a little bit and I, I knew what he was capable of. And that was always intriguing, but Mr. McConnell set the bar for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I left the meeting with Mr. McConnell and his son. Um, and I've said this to you before, I I felt a very emotional connection to Mr. Mack. And I I thought that his value system, his thought process, and his admiration of Columbus was really impressive. And I've said this to people before. He reminded me so much of my father that mm-hmm. there was a real connection. And I, I just felt that if the opportunity ever came up, that – I, I knew that it was going to be a long haul getting to be a playoff team, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to work for a family.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, and, and and you know, just Mr. McConnell, Mike, you know, they just seemed to it, – it was so sincere. It was really uh, an emotional connection for me more than anything.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you take over in Columbus, and, and Nash is this – accomplished uh, scorer for sure it already won the 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 Maurice Richard trophy as a 19 year old that doesn't happen every day and I remember covering the team and seeing practice drills with Rick Nash on the penalty kill and then later seeing games early in his in your time in Columbus with him out on the ice protecting a lead a one goal lead late and these are things that Rick Nash did not quite do in the early days it's not that he Never was out late for games, but it 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 wasn't his forte. Um, and you had done this before with other players, but I, I I love the I love the thought process behind this, and I love the way that Nash seemed to embrace it. But if you can go through the thought process and what were the initial meetings with with Rick Nash and explaining to him uh, that his his role was going to expand big time, maybe into places that would make him at least at first, slightly uncomfortable.
3: Well, Aaron, what, what, what I learned coaching in other places before I came to Columbus was that your best players have to be out in critical situations. And there's nothing more critical than the start or end of games and killing penalties. And, and if your best players can't play in those situations, you can't grow your team. And your team can never be complete. They can't play a complete game when you're trying to get players off the ice and they're your top talented players when they should be on the ice. And I had a meeting with Rick and I said, your role is going to change. I said, instead of running you off the ice when it's a hard match. And and you got to remember that we were a budget team in a pretty heavy laden division. And I said to Rick, I got to be able to put you out there against the best players. I can't run you off the ice when they put out their top players to play against you. You got to, you got to match up against these guys. And then I've got to put you out in critical situations. And the buy-in was overnight. Like sometimes it takes a while, you know, with other players, quite frankly, it did take a while, but with Rick, the buy-in was overnight. And then all of a sudden you've got this guy who's a really elite player who's out killing penalties. And if you just bobbled a puck, he was gone on a a two-one. Gone, yeah. And and then instead of running away from playing him against Nick Lidstrom and and Henrik Zetterberg, I I, I said, I think you can outplay these guys. Or at least I think you can draw even, which gives us a chance to win the game. And he embraced it. He took over from there, and it took our team to a whole other level where, you know, we didn't need the other team to play poorly to win. We, we could match against their best game and our best game and more than draw even against it. And, and it just changed the whole disposition of our team. And then all of a sudden, our team became really, really hard to play against.
2: Yeah, and I love, I love Nash's perspective on this. And this was just the other day. He told me, like, that he had always attached good game, not a good game for himself to did I score tonight. And it, 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 it drove him, it's a lot of pressure to be in the NHL and feeling like you have to score a goal to have had a good game. And now, now with all of these other roles and his minutes shot up too, um, no matter what the game was like, his minutes increased. He, he could leave the rink saying we went six for six on the penalty kill tonight um, or we shut them down late and I was part of it. There were other ways he could, he could attach meaning to games and he could, he could feel um, as though he had a really good game, even if he wasn't on the score sheet. And that, that's a new element for a player like that as well.
3: Yes. And it, it, the term I used is your value system has to change. You can't it can't be just covered over in points. The I I I I really felt that the points wouldn't be a lot different. Um there might be a minor change, but the minutes would have to increase dramatically, which they did when Rickwood played for us. Yeah. And the other the other thing that happened was that um he set a competitive level at the puck, around the puck, for the puck that others had no choice into following. And I really pushed him at practice, Aaron. I really pushed him to be really competitive and compete against his friends and teammates so that we could take the team to another level. And he he really embraced that. He was a terror at practice <laughs> because he knew how he – the way he practiced would drag other people into the fight and make us all better.
2: Yeah. 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 Um- it, Mr. Mack passed away in the summer of 2008 after your first full season in Columbus. And you and Rick were, where were you? We were playing in the world championships. You remember where they were that year?
3: Yeah, they were in uh, Atlantic, Canada. They were in uh, Halifax and, okay. uh, and uh, Quebec City. And gotcha. we had got a call a few days before giving us a heads up. Yeah. And. We knew that this might happen. And in the middle of the tournament, um, Rick and I flew back to Columbus for the memorial. And both of us felt like we just had to do this. It was that important for us because Mr. Mack meant the world to Rick. And um, uh, we just, it meant so much to us to be part of that ceremony. It was at at Nationwide and it just meant the world. Us and we just had to get back. So in the middle of the tournament, we flew back, uh, went to the memorial service, and then flew back to the tournament.
2: And then this is one of my favorite scenes um, that I've been so privileged to cover for the Blue Jackets through the years. It's 2009, or a year later, you're in Chicago. Rick scores, Rick scores the goal. I love that it's Federer Tootin that wins the shootout. But Rick scores the goal that, for, that guarantees you a point against the Blackhawks in United Center. And guarantees you a spot in the playoffs. First time in franchise history. He scores the goal. He's coming around the left side of the net after it goes in. He knows it goes in. And he looks up to the rafters. Uh, his thoughts on Mr. Mac for sure. Um, and paint the scene from your perspective. Because there are some incredible details that I've never seen before or since from that moment. When the Blue Jackets first clinched the playoff spot. Wow. <laughs>
3: You know you've got that scene, and then you've got the scene on the Chicago bench incredible've turned our way, and they're clapping yes. and uh, Joel and his staff they were you know there was no pressure they were in the playoffs for them, but they were clapping and cheering for us, and then you had stick taps by five or six players yeah. next to our bench, congratulating us on tying the game i mean i I'm I've never seen that in my life Aaron and i don't I've never I knew I, I don't think I'll ever see it again but I've never yeah. seen another team happy for our franchise at that right. time like yeah. Chicago was
2: yeah and and Nash talked about this the other day how the first feeling was just complete and utter relief and and you took the I think you were going to St Louis after the game and he said you took the team out for dinner. And it really wasn't until an hour or so after the game where the guys started to really celebrate rather than just take a deep breath because they felt like there's so much pressure here internal pressure. I don't, I don't think they were getting crushed from the outside necessarily, but so much internal pressure to make the playoffs. What are your memories of, of just the hours
3: after that? You know what we, we chartered to St. Louis right after. And I called ahead to the hotel and, and said, is there a bar open? And there was a bar two blocks away that was open. And uh, I asked the bus driver, I said, can you take our bags and, um, and, and just leave them in the lobby and just drop us off here at this bar? And That's it was two awesome. blocks away. And we went in the bar and we stayed there for three or four hours. And we just talked, all of us, about you know, it wasn't, we didn't really celebrate as much as we just talked about how much it meant to everybody. And, uh, yeah, everybody was really emotional about it and really, really happy about it. But it was one of those times where you're so proud of, uh, of some of the players, some of the people, you know, Rick in particular, and then what Steve Mason did in goal and things oh like that. God. Yeah. Um, You you just felt like this was now the time to talk about it, and and we spent two or three hours talking about it, uh, and then went and then walked over to our hotel after that.
2: That's awesome. How'd you play the next night? I don't remember.
3: Oh, we didn't play well, but to be honest, it didn't matter. You know, like we we didn't play that great. We we didn't have a practice that day, and I just told everybody to relax. You know, we were there for a little while, and we didn't play that well, but but you know we we accomplished our goal and then we uh you know then we ended up playing Detroit in the first round which was a hard matchup i thought we played yeah. three great games against them but it was a hard match for us but um it just felt like the teams turned the corner and the franchise is going to be okay
2: yeah yeah incredible um we asked uh, people telling them you were going to be on the podcast if they had any questions a good one from Brett Sidoric uh, at I am Twiggy on Twitter. Um, wondered, what was your insight? What was your process for picking line mates for Nash? And this is an interesting question because he was always, it certainly was because they didn't have number one centers growing on trees in Columbus, Ohio back then or now. Um, but he, he always jived well, very well with Manny Malhotra and never really had a number one center with him in Columbus. What kind of line mates did he need? What were you looking for from the other guys on his line, if you can remember back then?
3: I needed really competitive players. And and I've talked about this with Manny. We, we visited over this. I really pushed Manny hard because I needed him to be that really competitive 200-foot player. And when I played him with Rick, It worked because Manny, he upped his ante in every game Mm -hmm. and he became, uh, and, and if you look him and Rick killed penalties together a lot, Manny changed, um, and became a really fierce competitor. So, you know, I knew we weren't going to get big point totals there, but if we had as many competitive people as we could with Rick, um, I knew Rick could carry the day, and if these other guys carried their load work wise, we were going to be okay.
2: Yeah. Um, you've, as I said, you've coached a litany of great players. It's not always the great players that that you remember so vividly. But what is there something about Nash? Anything unique about him? What is his? What where does he stand among players you've coached? Not asking you to rank guys necessarily. That's unfair but what 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 stood out with him what we always remember about him and anything unique or special that, that leaps to
3: mind yeah you know what you know what people don't realize and uh, you know after i left columbus uh you know there was olympic games to play and when it came time for people to talk about rick you know there was question marks is he going to make the team is he going to be on the team where does he fit and i I said, listen, I know this guy, and I know that if you play him against top players, he's going to take them out of the game. He probably will outscore them, but he's going to negate anybody's top player. Hmm. And that's exactly what he did. So he carried what we'd worked on in Columbus. He carried it into an international play, and he was always the guy going on the ice at critical moments against top players when it mattered the most. So he had this foundation that he had learned that carried him a long, long ways because he was a player uh, that in the highest level of anxiety, you could trust every time. And that's how we used him with the Olympic teams. And he became a very, very effective player and carried his career from there.
2: Yeah. Now, in talking to him in recent days, it's, it's become clear that he could have jumped at a chance. He had opportunities. You know you're doing something right when, when you retire and all of the teams you play for reach out and say, let us know if you ever want to work for us. He could have gone to the Rangers. He met with the Rangers. He could have gone to Boston. He met with them, spoke with Stevie Y about a job. Came back to Columbus last to speak to Yarmo Kekalainen and see what that would look like. And he has decided to, to work here and work his way up here. He's, he's done all kinds of stuff, uh, sort of learned the business the first couple of years. And now he started to take uh, a real liking towards player development, which only makes sense. And honestly, as important as drafting and developing players is now, that is almost the quickest path to a GM's job in the NHL, which I think is something that people should maybe be alert uh, for Rick Nash in the future. How meaningful is it to you, Hitch? And you know the city well. You know Nash well. He could have gone anywhere, probably even to teams he didn't play for. Uh, how meaningful is it that this is where the roots go down and this is where he wants to sort of have a second career um, with the Blue Jackets?
3: Well, first of all, Aaron, the people that I know in the industry say they see Rick anywhere and everywhere where Blue Jacket prospects are. They... Mm-hmm they see him one night in one place and one the next night in another place and so the people i'm talking to tell me that he's not afraid to travel and he's certainly not afraid to work yeah. and he's not afraid to get out there i think more than anything the thing that i'm happiest about is that rick came back to raise his family in columbus he came back to work to the blue jackets where he started that's where he's made his home that just shows you First, how great that city is, but secondly, how much that city meant to him and his family. And now he's willing to start on the ground floor and do the hard jobs, not easy being on the road by yourself, not right. easy traveling to rinks that you don't really know where they're at. He's willing to do all of that work. And he could go on easy street and just mm-hmm. retire and be a dad, but he wants to work. And so his value system for me hasn't changed since he stopped playing. He developed a very strong work ethic, second to none, and now it's carrying into management, which I, I I'm I'm really really proud of. Yeah, that's awesome. And from your
2: perspective, I, I I you know I I obviously have never coached a game in my life. I can't imagine there is a bigger honor than coming back to see one of your players, really at the players request, and it's a Todd Chirac production too, but Rick Nash wants you here. That's got to be amazing. I'm wondering what this weekend is going to be like for you and how, how excited you are to do all this.
3: Well, I, I just, I think it's, uh, I, again, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of what Rick did to his career. I'm proud to be able to come back and support him, but this is all about Rick. and And for yeah. me, all of us, you know, we're a small part of his life, but I'm more impressed with how he's carried it forward now. And um, I hope he becomes a general manager someday because he'll do a great job there. He's no nonsense. And uh, like I said, you know, this is like stand up Columbus because Columbus should be very proud. You know, a great player that could live anywhere in the world has decided to live there and grow his family there that tells you a lot about the city of Columbus.
2: Yeah. Hitch, I knew this would be great. I thank you so much for your time.
3: All right, Porter, you take care. Thanks.
2: Look forward to seeing you this weekend. All right, take care. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. I, I sure think that was worth your time. Hitch is, Hitch is amazing. And and uh, as I mentioned in there to him, what a thrill it's been for a young uh, reporter like me, not anymore, but when I was at the time, uh, to get to cover a, a guy like this, to have this guy help explain what he's watching so many times in his back office explaining things elements of the game that were really helpful um such a fascinating guy it's going to be emotional i'm sure on saturday meaningful absolutely i hope everybody's able to to see it watch it if they're not able to be in attendance it's going to be a memorable night i thank you all for listening but we will be back next week and look forward to talking to you then take care